right. Well, I'm going to invite you to grab your beverages and come on in and take a seat. Watch that little clip from uh, Larry Boy video, which introduces our theme for this morning. Now, uh, talking apples aside, how many of you have had trouble this year with fruit flies in your home? Okay, hands up. Whoa, lots of people. Okay, well, you know, Mike Olenek told me that he read on Facebook that here in Vancouver, we have actually been experiencing an infestation of fruit flies this year. And I immediately knew it to be true because it was on Facebook, right? I mean, doesn't everyone get their news from there? Don't even get me started. Well, in the Sumner household this summer, we battled the fruit fly infestation amongst other things. And we tried everything. Uh, I mean, we tried taking away every piece of fruit that we could find and putting it in the fridge or putting it somewhere, and they still hung around. We tried doing everything. So finally, I did a little reading and research uh, online, and I found out that the best way to get them was creating a trap like this. The other way you can deal with fruit flies is you can release hordes of spiders into your kitchen, but we decided against that. So this seemed like a little bit more of a sanitary way to deal with them. So what this is, is you take a bowl and then you cover it in cling film and you put, uh, you put apple cider vinegar in there. And then you puncture little holes all in the top of the cling film and then the fruit flies go into the bowl and then they hang out around the sides for a little bit and eventually one of them falls in and then more of them fall in and then pretty soon before you know it, like dozens and dozens of them have fallen in. So yes, it is sick in the interest of full confession and disclosure, I am a serial fruit fly killer. I have murdered many, many fruit flies uh, or at least I'm an accomplice to their death because I trapped them it was really more the fruit flies that killed themselves because they gave in to the apple cider vinegar and the temptation and fell to their death, but I will take some responsibility for it, for their fruit fly death trap. So our topic this morning uh, is not actually fruit flies, obviously, but is temptation that was introduced to us by that clip. And we're going to talk about what does it look like for you and I to actually be baited into something, like fruit flies to apple cider vinegar. Where does temptation actually come from? Because there's a multiple different sources of it. And more importantly, how could we actually avoid falling into the trap uh, ourselves of temptation? So let's pray uh, together as we look into God's word. God, we thank you for your word to us. Uh, we affirm that it's truth that it communicates things to us that you desire for us to learn and to put into practice in our own lives. And so, God, in this place today, we want to humbly submit to your word and to the things that you have to teach each and every one of us this morning. We all wrestle with temptation. We all uh, wrestle with uh, desires. We all wrestle and struggle with things in our lives, hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And so, God, I pray today uh, that you would equip us through your word to understand what it is that you want us to do and how you want us to live to avoid uh, falling prey to temptation. 
In the name of Jesus, your son, we pray and ask, amen. Well, this morning we are continuing our study in the book of James, and we have entitled this fall series, Mirror, Mirror. And today we're looking in James chapter one, and James, as we go through the book, you'll find out he's a big fan of repetition. It's like he feels like we didn't get it the first time. So he comes back to some themes over and over again, and he layers them and develops them a little bit more each time he comes to them. And so we'll hear and see some of the same themes that he's begun to develop already as he takes them into new directions in the topic of temptation this morning. So James, when he started his letter... James is the brother of Jesus, and he wrote, we, we understand, to people uh, scattered all around in the early first century. And he talked to them in uh, James chapter 1, verse 2, and says, When troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. So he's laid the groundwork for that already. And now he goes on later on in chapter 1 to come back to the same topic in James 1 verse 12. And this is up on the screens. It says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation because afterward they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, When you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me, because God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away, and these desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. James moves very quickly through his discussion from something that seems relatively innocuous, relatively harmless, temptation, we all wrestle with it, and quickly, all of a sudden, he's talking about spiritual death. And so there's some important questions for us to wrestle with in these verses as we look at the cycle of temptation. But the first question that James wants us to wrestle with is, where does temptation actually come from? What is the source of trials and temptations in your life and in mine? You see, in our culture, we've developed lots of language that uh, we find useful to us to answer this question. We say things like, the devil made me do it. Or, I just couldn't resist. See, we like to excuse ourselves of personal responsibility when it comes to falling into temptation. And so James is pushing us a little bit here to say, what parts of temptation or falling into temptation should you consider yourself responsible for? And what are the other things that might contribute to temptation in your life? What part is circumstantial or external, and what part is internal? It's a good question that I think we don't often wrestle with. I think one of the things that we could say is James is not denying 
that the devil can and does tempt us, that there's a source of evil in the world. And we see this in the example in the book of Job where Satan actually asks permission of God to tempt and to try Job. And we see it in the book of Matthew where actually Jesus is tempted by the devil. Matthew chapter four, verse one says that. And so I think one of the things for us to understand is that it is not a sin to be tempted. Because if Jesus was tempted by the devil, the scripture is very clear that he went through a whole of his natural life without sinning. And so just the fact that he was exposed to temptation means that by virtue of our exposure to temptation, we're not yet in a place where we are sinning. It's not a sin to be tempted. The devil can and does tempt us to do evil. The other part of the question that James asks then is, okay, well, if the devil can test us and tempt us, what is God's part in that? Because clearly he drives at that and says God doesn't tempt anyone. But look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. It says Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And so James wants us to understand that God can and does test us. God allows us to be placed into circumstances where we can and will be tested. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, and at that point the devil came and tempted him. God allowed and in fact instructed him to go into a place where he would be tested. There's lots of examples of this in the Old Testament in particular. Think about the children of Israel after they have been released from slavery and captivity by God and led out of Egypt and taken to, after their years of wandering, to the promised land. It's, it, the text says in Exodus 20, 20, that God led them to the wilderness to test them, to see what was in their hearts. God also says later on, after the children of Israel have settled in the promised land that God promised to them, he says God actually left the nations around them to test them to see if they would be faithful to him. And so there's a difference here between testing and tempting. God can and does allow circumstances in our lives and lead us into places and permit us to be in places where we are tested, where our faith has the opportunity to be tested, but God does not tempt us. Think about the story of Abraham and Isaac. God gives Abraham a specific instruction. Take your son up to the mountain, your only son, the only heir to the promise that I have given you. God promised Abraham he would make him into the father of many nations. And he waits and he waits and he waits and finally the promise comes to fruition in his birth of his son Isaac when he's old. And then God says, I want you to take Isaac up to Mount Moriah and you two will go up and one will come down. God's testing Abraham's faith. 
And in the end, Abraham comes out as having passed the test because of his faith in a God who is faithful. Over and over and over again, we see people being placed in circumstances where our faith can be tested and tried. But just because God might allow these circumstances into your life and mine does not mean that God is tempting you. We talked about this two weeks ago when we looked at the topic of testing and temptation. When our hearts come out of a time of trials and testing, when we go into it rather, what is inside of our hearts ends up coming out. But sometimes we like to actually blame God for those things in our lives. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 6 says it this way, a person's folly, their own dumb decisions, ruins their own life, but then they rail against the Lord in their heart. James is saying much the same thing. We want to blame anyone or anything else when we fall into temptations. Sometimes it's the circumstances God has placed us in, but it's our own choices then that we need to be responsible for. Like my little fruit fly, friends, the vinegar might be there, but they chose to be lured in. And so James is honest. James says, yes, there are external and spiritual forces at work in this world seeking to keep you and I from God, seeking to keep us from following his will. But these forces, James says, are not actually even just external forces. The battle goes on inside each and every one of us as well. Inside here and inside here, inside our heads and inside our hearts. Because James says our internal desires entice us. Our powerful passions and feelings and emotions sweep over us, destructive desires that reside within each of our hearts have the possibility to be awakened and entice us to participate in them. That's part of being human. And James intriguingly uses the language of hunting or fishing here, a lure or a baited trap that has been set. So like a good fisher person who chooses the right lure to try and attract the right type of fish that they know is in that particular body of water, they set their lure just so and know carefully where the fish and when the fish are going to be there so that they can entice the fish to bite. A good hunter knows where and when to sit in the blind and wait for game to come by. A good trapper knows what to put inside the trap that would entice the animal that they want to try and capture. And so James is saying, our desires work in the same way in regards to temptation. Temptation appeals to our desires and tries to entice and set a trap for us. And yet we're very quick to blame external forces 
for this. In Homer's epic poem, The Odyssey, Zeus complains, it's incredible how easily human beings blame the gods and believe us to be the source of their troubles when it comes to their own wickedness. It's their stupidity that brings upon them sorrows more severe than any which destiny would assign. See, when it comes to temptation, we're often on the lookout for explanations that mitigate personal responsibility. When we fall into habits or hang-ups that trip us up, places of sin, we're quick to blame others, we're quick to blame the devil, we're quick to sometimes blame God, but ultimately, James is saying, you and I are morally responsible. I love what author and pastor Bill Hybel says about this topic, thinking about temptation. He says, the question is not, will you and I face destructive desires? We all have those in our lives. The question is, how will you face destructive desires? We might be baited, we might be lured, but you and I are ultimately responsible for taking the bait. Because what starts out as desire doesn't stay that way. Let's look at what this cycle actually looks like. James paints it for us in these verses. So James 1.14, temptation comes from our own desire. So that's the first part of the cycle of temptation is that our desires have been awakened in some way. An unhealthy preoccupation with whatever it is. Maybe for you it's winning or being right. Maybe it's your desire to be perceived as smart and seen as a thoughtful or articulate or well-educated person. And so in this first step of the cycle of temptation, those desires which live in your heart are appealed to by something or someone. And then we begin to somehow give them more place in our lives. Now, some of the desires that live in your heart are good desires. God has placed them there. They're embedded in your life. They're wholesome and they're right and they should be nurtured and you should give them full expression as an individual. But some of your desires and some of my desires are dark and twisted and manipulated and corrupted and they need to be managed and controlled and rejected and not simply acted upon. So when something or someone is trying to awaken or stoke the furnace of desire in your life, you need to be aware because there's a cycle that is about to begin that once it begins is incredibly difficult to put a stop to. And so putting a stop to it at this point in time is crucial. See, marketers know this, right? I can't sin in the area of greed, or it's much harder for me to sin in the area of greed in my life if my desire for more is not awakened. And so the first step is that that desire for more needs to be stoked or fueled in some way. I need to be presented with options for more toys, more money, more experiences. And so we're going to talk about breaking that cycle in a few minutes, but arresting it right here becomes critical. 
alerting yourself and others to the fact of what's going on in your mind and in your heart in this. And James says temptations come to us from these desires, these shadow desires that can entice us and drag us away. So one of the questions that I would have for you is, do you know, in terms of your own self-awareness, do you know enough about your inner world to be able to pinpoint and articulate what are the unique shadow desires that have potential to drag you off course in your life? Do you know what those core struggles are for you? Almost all of us have them. A couple of things, a couple of issues that keep surfacing over and over and over again. They might manifest differently, they might evidence in different ways, but they just keep coming up in your life. Do you know what those are? Because if you don't know what they are, it's going to be difficult for you to put a stop to those desires when they are awakened in some way. This is where the value of spiritual friendships comes in. The value of people who know you well enough to be able to look at you and say, you know what? You have been off course in this particular area of your life. But that's a risky friendship to engage in. It's a higher risk, higher reward friendship because it means that you need to let that person know your core struggles. I know in my own life, I have three core struggles that I always wrestle with. And so every other week, I meet with a close friend. We spend about 90 minutes together, and he knows to ask me about those three things every other week. And he knows he has full permission to email me, call me, text me at any time, and ask me about any of those things in my life. Do you know what your core struggles are? And does anyone else around you have permission to help you in those areas? Help you arrest this cycle at the points of desire before it begins to spin. Because the second phase of the cycle is deception. So in stage one, we're moving from simply something coming to my attention. And as I hit the arrow and progress from desire into deception... I'm moving to preoccupation. I'm beginning to think more and more and more about it. I'm nurturing it in some way in my mind. Only my mind is involved at this point quite often, but I'm beginning to think on it long enough. I'm working on ways that I might justify it. I'm thinking and planning how I might act it out in some way. And we're beginning to move now from opportunity, which is where desire is awakened, to conception in James's language. Conception or deception. Now I'm actively allowing myself to be lured by the cider vinegar. I'm saying things to myself like, it doesn't look that dangerous inside the bowl. Look, there's other little flies around the rim. It doesn't seem to be hurting them at all. Just one little fly by wouldn't be that harmful, would it? I'll, I'll just go in and see how it is. It, it can't be that bad. Just a little taste. Just a little look. Just a little hit. 
See, there's actually two types of, of addictions that can come into our lives. Well, one type is substance addictions, so whether it's alcohol, uh, drug use, or abuse, or abusive medications, and these we seem to understand somewhat in our world. We require, oh yeah, it takes a little bit more of that each time in order to maintain a buzz. But there's a second kind of addiction, a process addiction. And with process addictions, actually function in the same way. Actually looking for that rush of endorphins and dopamine that actually hits your system, that's released into your body. But the challenge here is the same, just like substance addictions, process addictions actually end up risking more and more and more to get the same fuel or the same rush. An angry person's outbursts become more public, become more personal, become more jaded. The debt-ridden chronic overspender needs to come home with a few more shopping bags this time than last time in order to feel the same about themselves. And when we tell ourselves just a little bit more, just a little bit more, we have been deceived and we are beginning to be dragged further away into the cycle of temptation. And now we're at stage three in James's description, from desire to deception to disobedience. We're doing the deed, we're acting out. Desire, James says, gives birth to sinful actions and when sin is allowed to grow, what an interesting phrase, it's allowed to have place and real estate in our heart, in our soul, in your mind. It's given room, it's given time, it's not rooted out. When it is allowed to grow, James says, it gives birth to death. And here James isn't talking primarily about physical death, He's talking about spiritual death. He's talking and describing the isolation, the alienation that sinful actions, when we continue in those patterns, bring into our lives. That sense of shame that accompanies our choices. The self-loathing, the frustration of finding ourselves here in this place again after we promised God, we promised other people that would never happen again. We prayed for strength. And then we failed. After we told ourselves we would be strong, we were going to resist temptation. And now we find ourselves yet again racked with guilt and with shame. See, guilt means I feel bad about what I've done, but shame is something much deeper. Shame means I've gone through this cycle so many times that I've begun to feel bad about who I am. And the challenge is that the longer shame persists, the deeper the cycle progresses. And so when sin is allowed to grow, when it is nurtured, when it is fed, when it is not eradicated by the strength of the Holy Spirit in our lives in Christian community, James lays out a path for us. The possibility that we will continue to walk down this road until full alienation and full isolation takes over in our lives and we become so isolated from God and each other, it's as if we've died spiritually and in every, relationally and in every other way. 
So James lays out for us a very compelling, very familiar, but very dark cycle of temptation, a path that likely all of us have walked at some point in our journey. But the good news is that there's another pathway that James lays out and describes it in verses 16, 17, and 18. It says, when sin is allowed, it gives birth to death. So, don't be misled down that garden path, brothers and sisters. Whatever is good, whatever is perfect, comes down to us from God our Father who created the lights of the heavens. He never changes. He never casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all of creation, have become his prized possession. See, in those first verses, James sets out one path, but in the other verses, James flips the perspective and he asks us to consider, okay, so if God does not send us temptation, what does he send us? And James says he sends us good gifts. Remember back in verse 12, James said that there would be a reward for those who persist and endure temptation. James is again going back to his metaphor of athletics. Just like a person who endures physical stress in their body to be able to gain physical endurance, so too when we endure temptation, we gain spiritual endurance and strength. And James says, when you gain these things, you gain something precious. You gain the crown of eternal life. You gain a relationship with God that begins now and continues on forever. And what's interesting about this is James uses the exact same life cycle metaphor to describe both options. Just like desires have the potential to give birth to other things in us James says, God desires to birth in us his true word in our hearts so that we can resist and overcome temptation. It's like James is saying, at every significant juncture in your life, every morally significant choice you stand and make today and every day, you're standing at a fork in the road and you have a pathway in front of you. Two paths, in fact. And each path leads somewhere. The path of following our destructive desires, it looks really appealing, but it actually leads, as you follow it, further and further down into deception, disobedience, and ultimately, at the end of that path, is isolation and death. And I know my own heart well enough to know what that path feels like and looks like. And it seems really appealing. And I know for me that I am one choice away from the first bad choice in a series of choices that leads down that path. I know what resides in my heart. And if I begin to give root to that and give space to it and let it grow. I know what that feels like. And so when I stand at those 
junctures, those decision moments, when you're feeling those desires begin to well up in you, one of the things that can be helpful is to kind of insert another file into that conversation and say, what did it feel like the last time I gave in to these things? Did, where did it lead? What pathway did it take me down? Sometimes that helps me be willing to turn around. You know, every night uh, in, I go into each of our kids' uh, rooms and I pray with them. And we pray when we finish our time praying, we pray the words that Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. And I'm fascinated almost every evening by that little phrase in the Lord's Prayer, which says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I know when I stand at that fork in the road, at that moment of decision, I need to pray that prayer. God, I do not want to be led into temptation in this. I need your help because I'm not strong enough through my own willpower just to choose the right path. I need you to lead me out of temptation to deliver me from evil. And so one of the things to ask yourself when you stand at that juncture as well is what are the things that are stoking those desires in your heart? What are you giving airtime to in your life? What are you exposing yourself to? Sometimes I find that when I'm on Facebook, it does nothing but stoke jealousy about how awesome everybody else's day has been when my day has not been so good. You give airtime to those things in your life. What paths are you walking down? Do those paths lead to life or to death? One of the things about this text that strikes me is that James spends a lot more time talking not about the negative side of the cycle of temptation. He actually spends way more time talking about the promise of blessing to those that endure temptation and those who are, who are in the strength that God provides able to resist temptation. And one of the encouragements that I draw from that is no, how, no matter how deeply entrenched that cycle is in my own life, that hurt, that habit, that hang-up, it is possible to move towards freedom from it this morning. I love how 1 Corinthians 10, 13 puts it. Writing there, the author says, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, but God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So this is incredibly good news for you and I. That Jesus came to bring hope into those moments of decision when we feel hopeless to combat our own desires. God is faithful, friends. And this morning, he wants to meet you and show you that way out so that you can endure and experience freedom. In just a couple of moments, we're going to respond uh, in song. And as we do that, we're going to make available, as we do each and every weekend here at Jericho, people that will serve you and pray for you in this time. And as people go for prayer ministry, one of the temptations that I think we can fall into as a community is to look at them and go, wow, they must be really messed up if they're going for prayer. I mean, it must be really big in their life. 
whew, I mean, I would never go and talk to somebody about anything like this going on. They must be really, really bad. But you know what? As one who has listened to and prayed with so many people here in this community, so many times, I'm so encouraged by the things that people are willing to bring and share with the community here for prayer. It can be just an area in your life where you're struggling and wrestling with and saying, you know, would you stand with me in this? I find myself giving into greed. I find myself just thinking about this over and over. I find myself being discouraged. Can you pray for me in this particular area? And so this might be the time for you this morning where you say, you know what? I'm just going to go for prayer. I'm going to release the temptation to think about what other people are thinking about me in this moment, in this place. Don't let pride keep you from making that decision here this morning. See, when I stand uh, at a fork in the road, my favorite poem uh, by my favorite poet, Robert Frost, comes to mind. He's a brilliant line about the impact of choices that we make in his poem, The Road Not Taken. And he says this, two roads diverged in a wood. And I, I took the one less traveled by. I took the road that led away from giving in to my desires and temptation, and that has made all of the difference. See, friends, this week, today, maybe in this moment, you and I will stand at fork in the road after fork in the road, moments of temptation. And giving in can be so quick and so easy for us. But my encouragement to you and my encouragement to myself is to choose the road less traveled. Choose the path that leads to life. It may be difficult to do, but in the help and strength that God provides, you can take a different choice than you've made in the past. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, when you lead us into places in our lives that we are confronted with these choices, when by virtue of our own failures and our own uh, places that we take ourselves, God, we are exposed to temptation. When we confront temptation, God, I pray that you would give us the strength to resist evil. And God, we recognize that very real struggles rage in our own lives. And so we proclaim and declare the truth of your word in Romans 7.25 and say, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. For the law of Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death. I'd invite you to stand with me as we sing. Maybe you want to take a few moments to pray quietly. You may want to make yourself, uh, make your way over.